the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Street Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Riffin, and our guest today is comic book artist Daryl May, Chief Creative Officer of Stranger Comics. Daryl's current project, Niobe, She is Death, is a collaboration with actor Amanda Stenberg, who you may remember as Rue from The Hunger Games. Daryl can be found on Instagram at Daryl May Art, and on the web at StrangerComics.com. Daryl, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Brett. It's good to catch up. Heck yeah, dude. One one musician to another in our Vanguard days, bro. Indeed, indeed. Uh, you were in one of the best metal bands I've ever seen live, and uh, I I need I need everyone to know that. that I had this written down for later. Dude, that's awesome. One of the best metal bands I've ever seen, Lynch. I don't know why you guys never made it, because technically, musicianship, stage show, you guys were awesome. Thanks, man. So what does a chief creative officer do? Well, uh, the chief creative officer for my company specifically at Stranger Comics is I basically handle all the uh, creative processes for all the intellectual property that we uh, develop and nurture and aggregate. So in a nutshell, I'm responsible for the visual creative look of every project that the company publishes and puts out. Okay. No, no responsibility there, you know. No, no, no not big at deal. All. <laughs> <laughs> and not getting sued, and this and that. I'm sure. Y- yes, exactly. I'm sure all that's tied together. Oh yeah. So tell us a little bit about Stranger Comics. How did you originally get into that? Stranger Comics was a uh, an idea that my publisher and one of my best friends, Sebastian A. Jones, came up with when we started creating The Untamed, which was one of our first intellectual properties that we were developing, and we just found that. Other publishers and uh, other businesses were being too predatory in what uh, we had created. And we had come to the conclusion that if we wanted to own our intellectual properties outright, we were going to have to publish them ourselves. And that was kind of the initial birth of Stranger Comics. Okay. So it's kind of like what we had to do and why we started this, because we did not want to start our own business. Right. It's, <laughs> you know, it's very extremely difficult. And um, but in order to protect ourselves, we had to do it. So how does one go from having this idea and drawing it on paper to having a comic book company that's sold in stores and available online and et cetera? I would say a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hours working a regular nine to five job and then coming home and working um, in evenings and on weekends and never stopping. Uh, it takes a lot to to essentially go from an idea that we um, inceptualized to it actually being in hands where I'm selling the stuff across the world now. Um, and that took quite quite a lot of time. I mean, I've been at this since I want to say 2005, six, like in a very big way. Wow. And not until about 2009 was Stranger Comics like something that had become an institution or at least uh, a practical um, entity. And so as of right now, it's it's how I make a living. But up until recently, that wasn't the case. All right. What did you want to be when you grew up? I uh, wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a little kid until I realized I had a, a touch of agoraphobia <laughs> uh, okay. when I went to my first air show. And I, I still deal with that on occasion. Open spaces when I'm behind the wheel of a vehicle mm-hmm. kind of freak me out. So I've always been into um, fighter aircraft, that kind of stuff. But I was always, in, always into art. I've been drawing since like third grade. You know, I, I've always wanted to do something creative for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that was, I had no clue. Um, so I kind of fell into it as the economy crashed in 2008. And I just said, you know, I'm done 
you know, taking risks and losing my job by doing the, what I was told. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take risks for myself. And that's exactly what I'm doing now. Awesome. Yeah. Was there a moment or a specific instance that you remember when you realized drawing and telling stories was something you wanted to do? I would say that um, when Sebastian and I were working on The Untamed, we started getting attention from Hollywood. And I knew that we had something that was um, really magical. And we were starting to catch lightning in a bottle, especially when we were getting feedback on the screenplay and the graphic novel and everything that we had created. I kind of felt like, you know what? If we can make this happen, if we can rise out of this storm, I could do this for a living. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I had that realization because before, ideas and fantasies of being in this business and doing this kind of thing for a living is kind of a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you it's not easy, and I still might land on my face, uh, but that's okay because that's under my terms. And um, I think when we were getting attention out from the outside world and especially with Niobe now, which is lightning in a bottle like that has struck twice mm-hmm. with the amount of um, attention that we're getting. Um, it's, it's pretty surreal and I couldn't be more ecstatic about it. Yeah. How did that come together? How does one get connected to, you know, a semi-famous actress musician that wants to tell a story and find this small private label in Los Angeles to help tell that story? How does that come together? It comes together with my publisher, who I have complete confidence in. Uh, Sebastian Jones um, has been my dungeon master since I was 19 years old. And him and I have just been grinding on this. And he is a very driven person. And he met her, um, Amanda, at a festival, a kids' book festival in L.A. And they started chatting. And um, he had her read our screenplay for The Untamed and the graphic novel, where Niobe is essentially our Luke Skywalker, our world's messiah. The young actress, Amanda, she fell in love with the character, and as soon as she got on board, um, and this is where my anthropology comes into play, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make sure I had a a fantasy franchise with a young black girl as our Luke Skywalker, and as soon as she got on board and she came, her and Seb came together to write the story, Niobe, it was without question... Um, on our minds that we have to hire a black woman to draw this book and apparently that is that is the first time on a nationally distributed level that a black female protagonist writer and artist in the history of comic books in the united states had ever been done we've got articles in like vogue um huffington post um it we've received a ton of press on this and our our take on that is hey this should already be happening this 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 should not be being we should not be break, breaking this kind of ground in 2015. Right, this shouldn't be news. Yes, exactly. So that's that's kind of how that unfolded, and I couldn't be more excited to have her a part of it, man. It's it's awesome. Yeah. She's very talented. She's a a Renaissance woman. We support her activism and everything she's doing. And uh, her new movie's in theaters right now called Everything Everything. So yeah, and we're knocking out her new book, Niobe. She is death. <laughs> yeah the the marketing quote for that with a world divided who do you turn to you know yeah. I, I think that definitely has some uh relevance to the current climate of our world and our country and and everything yeah. that's going on right now yeah absolutely how yeah. did that what's kind of the theme behind that well it's with the niobashia's death series um niobashia's life was a uh, a bit of a breath of fresh air it, it's more of her hopeful aspects more of her masonic qualities are are conveyed in that book and now that amanda's 18 and not 15 when she wrote she is live with us she's a little pissed off about the current state of the world and the situations of you know politics and whatnot and i understand that mm-hmm. and um so we're like okay she's like i want to kick some ass and so we're like okay awesome you're going to be hunting down sex traffickers and slavers in this next series and you're going to be killing them and so um we're taking the character in a darker direction. Mm-hmm. Um, we hired a Jamaican artist, uh, Sheldon Mitchell. He's a friend of ours to handle that book. Um, and the next one in the series is Nyabashia's spirit, where she's going to have to juggle both she is life and death aspects of her Masonic qualities as a hero. And then eventually down the line, 
we're going to do Niobishi as God because that's what a messiah is. It's a, it's a physical representation of a deity on a planet, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's who this character is. She's a, imagine if Luke Skywalker had more of a Masonic quality is what we're kind of going for with the character. Mm-hmm. So her journey is ever evolving and changing. So it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes from here. It's inspiring to hear you talk about this and build this world. You know, it's not just a story. It's not just an idea. You've got a whole world built. And, yes. you know, I'm sure there's morals involved in that and how you navigate this complicated environment. That's Yes. That's one Extre- of the re- Go ahead. No, no, no. It's extremely important, and it's extremely complicated, bro, because, you know, I, I'm someone that comes from a, a, the Christian faith. And um, I have my faith, and I believe in God and whatnot, but I have serious issues with dogma Mm -hmm. and religious dogma and uh, the culture of Christianity in the world and and in America. And obviously, there are some aspects to what we're doing with Niobe that are very Masonic. So I'm, I'm trying to not pull too much towards that, but... I also need to um, be aware of my influences mm-hmm. when it comes to the character in that regard. So, you know, it's it's pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. It needs to be original. Definitely. It needs to be original. And I will take from any world religion, which I've studied most of them through my degree in anthropology, and, and I'll use aspects of those to create a very vibrant character and story, you know? Yeah, that's... Game of Thrones is coming back, and I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones. I assume you do based oh, yeah. on the things you're oh, into. Yeah, I'm a fanatic. <laughs> I love Tyrion, and I actually really love whatchamacallit, uh, um, uh, uh, Cersei Lannister's brother. Uh, what's his name? Jamie. Um, Jamie Lannister. Jamie. That scene with Brienne of Tarth in the bathtub yeah. made me love that character. Like, he, to me, will be the most tragic character in this whole thing. Yes, he's evil and dark, yeah. but man, like, at the expense of what? The entire realm? Like, his own honor? Like, he's my yeah. favorite character as far as his arc but anyways yeah. i could go on for hours about yeah. it. <laughs> but uh yeah it's coming back and yeah. um y- what you're talking about and what we're talking about with the morals and the complicated world I, when people ask me you know i've tried watching it and i don't dig it you know and yeah i was definitely like that before too like before i started watching it i turned it on for three or four minutes and it's two people talking about things i have no idea what they're talking about and it's just like yeah. this is so boring why do people watch this but yeah once i finally got into it it's these people are making very complicated moral choices in a violent world. Yes. And they're, you know, we don't think of things in our lives today as our legacy or I have to do this for my family, for my children and my children's children and my great-grandchildren. We don't live in that world. And these people are making very complicated moral choices that will have ramifications that last for generations. And that, to me, is, is the core interesting thing. It's not just... The world feels real. It's not just the mysteries yeah. that are going on, but the complicated moral choices that these characters are making for their legacies yes. to me is amazing. Yes, yeah, it draws. It'll draw you in because it's it's very well orchestrated, and the characters are very believable and very flawed, like like people are today. Right. You know, so it's relatable. You right. know, no matter what setting, you could tell that story in a mafia setting, sci-fi setting. Um, in a in a used car lot, a bunch of car salesmen, and you could, if with that kind of depth and character, you've got a good story, and that's what we did with the Untamed. You know, is like it could I could take that from a fantasy setting and make a western out of it. Mm-hmm. I could take that and and make a you know a bunch of cattlemen in Montana, and 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 it could it it still resonate. the The core of that story would still resonate. It's just a backdrop. And I feel like Lord of the Rings has, ca- or not Lord of the Rings, but Game of Thrones has captured that kind of storytelling of what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. you could definitely watch that in another form of media, or at least in another genre, and basically keep the core of what's happening there together. And I, You know what I mean? Yeah, and I quit on Walking Dead. I made it through two seasons, and I was just yeah. like, <laughs> this, it seemed like every episode, it, it was pretty formulated. Zombies, let's run. Okay, yes. we made it. Okay, now there's people. Are they good or are they bad? Oh, they're good. Yes. Okay, let's deal with them. Oh, no, they're bad. We got to fight them. Like, after yeah. two after two seasons of that, I was like, you know what? I just, I don't care about this anymore. Yeah, it, the noise, the noise drives people crazy. The zombie noise that they make. Yeah, it's the same, same drawling. And so, like my 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 parents were watching it, and their Jack Russell. Anytime the zombies would come on, he'd go running out of the room <laughs> and put his tail between his legs. He hates that noise. He's so sensitive. It's so funny. 
It's like, dude, Barney, get back in here, bro. They're not going to get you. And he's just like, <laughs> he goes away and just kind of sits on a corner and stares at the wall. My it's sister, pathetic. my sister-in-law's dog has that, but with horses. Anytime there's horses on oh, TV, okay. he just goes totally ape nuts. It's it's ridiculous. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I've heard writers say a lot, especially in fiction, that they yeah. they might have a map of where they want to go. But as they're writing, the characters unfold and make choices that they didn't see coming. And you kind of sometimes you're forced to decide, am I going to stay on this map or am I going to go the way that I think the character wants to go? Have you run into that? And kind of how has that impacted some of your stories? Well, the stories that I'm writing right now, very specifically with my work with the world of Asunda, which is my Marvel or DC franchise um, that Niobe exists in, we have a, a frame and a skeleton of where things are kind of headed. And I do a lot of the frontal lobe work, a lot of the compositional stuff and creating like story arcs and where things are headed. Sebastian does as well mm -hmm. as my editor, Josh, kind of um, sits in on those meetings as well with us on, on where things are headed. We evolve. Whatever's going to suit the project better. Our projects are constantly evolving. So like where I thought an ending or an arc that was this was going to end on, we'll find ourselves at a different finish line to one that make the project better and take us into a new direction for future stories. So we evolve. We roll with like best idea wins, mm -hmm. best project wins. Like uh, for instance, and I we can expand upon this. I've had my top secret story on hold for the last ten years, and I'm just now released a poster of it. It's called Fay. It's a fairy tale project, and my my favorite artist of all time is actually working on it. His name is Jay Lee, and I'm gonna let my writing partner Sebastian Jones, who is a much better writer than me, write it because I would rather read that story written by him and I would rather see the artwork done by Jay Lee than myself. I could draw that book. I could do a version of it, but I would rather read my comic book drawn by him. So uh, to answer your question about writing and our process, who and what will make it better, uh, we're going to roll with that. And, and if that means me stepping down, because I've written screenplays and I've co-written co them with Sebastian, I, the story would not be as good if it was just me. Yeah. So I've got to get somebody else involved. That's a better writer than me, yeah. you know? So it's, you know, no egos. That's what we say at the office. No egos. There you go. <laughs> Even though we're egotistical bastards. <laughs> <laughs> so why 10 years secret project, you know, great idea, great results. It sounds like why 10 years, why this one have to be on the back burner? Because I wasn't going to allow that project to breathe until I felt comfortable with the right creative team and the right financial backing. Like, seriously, bro, when I say lightning in a bottle, to have Amanda Stenberg involved with Niobe, mm -hmm. it's crazy, bro. There's not very many young, talented black women working in Hollywood. And the fact that she's not only going to be producing with us when we take this project to another medium, mm -hmm. but most likely possibly acting in the role of Niobe in a comic book that she co-wrote and created with us, that is huge. Yeah, that never I happens. Need no, I need financial stability in order for specific projects of mine to actually see life because I'd rather them not get told at all if they're not going to be told right. Mm -hmm. That's why 10 years. Awesome. Made sense. If I was cash rich, it would have happened 10 years ago. <laughs> but I'm glad it didn't because now the story is even better. And honestly, bro, when I say I'm working with my favorite comic book artist of all time, it's literally one of those things where if I was a professional baseball player and they were like, Babe Ruth wants to bat for you. <laughs> that's exactly what's happened to me and it's i'm still freaking out over it and you know we've got a long hard road ahead of us to see that to completion but you know what he's at the plate and and i couldn't be more ecstatic you know where might our listeners know jay lee from if anything jay lee they would know him if they read comic books they would know his work most predominantly through inhumans fantastic four um and most notably in recent pop culture, he was drawing interiors for the Dark Tower comic books for Stephen King, oh, okay. Peter David, and Robin Firth. That in pop culture, that's his like main like kind of whoa, these are amazing compositions. Um, if you go to my Facebook page or my Instagram or uh, my web page, you're gonna see these beautiful paintings of or drawings of Niobe. Mm -hmm. I've got one that's in like in the snow or in a pinkish purple background with heads on spikes. That's Jaylee's artwork. His compositions are like 
perfect. And I know I'm, he would be all, he'd tell me to shut up if you were here listening to this <laughs> right now, but he's amazing. And his wife, June is an amazing colorist. Um, she colors Batman comics. Um, and she does all his color work. She's amazing as well. Wow. And so we have brought him on board as a partner, as a creator and an owner of the Faye franchise that we're constructing Sebastian and I with him right now. So mm. it's, it's pretty crazy, bro. I'm, I couldn't be more ecstatic. Um, and he is doing original concept art or designs for Niobe right now on our Kickstarter. If someone wants to pledge $2,500 on my Kickstarter, <laughs> they can get an original Jaylee drawing. This is the kind of things I'm talking about. He is not cheap and his, and his originals go for a lot of money and his, his help with our Kickstarter has been awesome. Just having him on board with the covers and stuff. So, yeah. But yeah. So you mentioned your degrees in anthropology, and that obviously would help in your world building and understanding different cultures and yeah. kind of where characters' motivations might be coming from. Yes. How did you originally decide to go into anthropology? Is that, do you think in hindsight, maybe there was something there, I know I want to tell stories, I need to get better at understanding the worlds, or did you just kind of stumble into it? What was the genesis of that? Yeah, I kind of did. Um when I was at Vanguard, um, when I was going to go there, it, obviously it's a private school, so it was kind of expensive, and my grandmother was helping me out um, a bit with my education. And she's like, why aren't you going to art school? And I said, Grandma, I don't want to draw fruit, is what I told her. <laughs> you know, and, and I thought I was being funny. And I went to Vanguard because, one, I wanted to go to a Christian institution, and I'm really thankful I did because it opened my eyes to a wider – broader version of Christianity where my, my upbringing was very good and I'm very thankful for it, but it was also a very one-sided view of looking at things, mm -hmm. you know? So, and getting an education in anthropology, um, I went in as pastoral ministry just in case. And then I was like, you know what, if I am going to go into the ministry at some point in my life, anthropology is not a bad way to go because I want a world perspective of people I'd be ministering to. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to preach at people. I, you know, I never will. Um, and I'm not going to judge people. It's not my job to do that. And I find a lot of Christianity today is doing that. And it's, and it's, I hate nothing more than dog, dogmatic, like judgmentalism is yeah. like my, it makes me just want to, my blood boil. Yeah. And I have been in a position to, to talk to many different people from different walks of life because of that understanding that I learned through my anthropology degree at Vanguard. And, um, you know, I am very thankful that I made that decision. Yes, I could have gone to art school, and yes, it'd be further along in my career artistically. But, you know, I felt like I made that right choice. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I ended up going there. And I loved the department there at Vanguard. The, my professors were awesome. And, yeah, so it's just I felt like uh, I was put in there for a reason. And obviously yeah. I used my degree uh, quite heavily on my um, as my job as art director and CCO of, of Stranger Comics, our fantasy franchise has its checks and balances that are rooted in culture. So hmm. it's 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 a big deal. So that's awesome. What's yeah, a man. what's a basic day like for you? Uh, basic day right now. Um, typical day for me is get up. Um, I try and go to the gym in the mornings. Drink a ton of coffee get prepped. And then usually I'll be drawing until I'm finished with a page. Um, a lot of times I do go to North Hollywood where our office is at. Mm -hmm. So I'm in LA a decent amount. And then I also travel for comic conventions. So when I'm doing that, I have to juggle, you know, my art production and the more of the administrative side of things when I'm traveling for conventions um, and whatnot, but I do have the luxury of not having to deal with like accounting and all that other stuff that my publisher and editor have to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, but mostly, as of recently, my days have been just full of just drawing and production hmm. and traveling. So, awesome. yeah. When you tell people you're a comic book artist, comic book company owner, creative officer, what's their most common reaction? Um, most common reaction with people, oh, that must be exciting. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, a lot of times um, people have questions of what that means. Like, you're obviously, you're asking me what the job title entails, and, and it's basically um, visual design. I'm in charge of the visual um, aesthetic of the designs of the intellectual properties we develop. So I have to kind of explain that here and there. Most people kind of understand that when I do talk to them. 
Um, but occasionally people are like, wait, what you do, what you draw, what for a living, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, comic books are a much more readily available part of our culture and society today. So I do get a lot of, well, that's, you know, Oh, I understand what that is. If it had been 20 years ago, maybe not so much. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not too hard to explain what I do to people. So, yeah. Any preconceived misconceptions people have about artists that you like to put to bed once and for all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get asked all the time to draw things for people. And it's like, oh, you're a plumber. Can you come over and, uh, uh, and spend five hours unclogging my toilet for me for free? <laughs> um, and they're like, but it's just drawing pictures. You love it's doing that. Drawing. That's and why like, you do yeah. it. Do you, yeah. Have you spent a lifetime cultivating those skills? You know, I, that, that drives me crazy. Um, I do do things for some people. Um, but a lot of times people don't quite understand the amount of time and effort it takes to get to a certain point. And I struggle like, like financially in the sense of my time, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I I just, I can't, sorry, bro. I can't afford to draw this for you right now. Yeah. I, I literally, my time is, I cannot afford to It'd take too long and you're not going to be happy. And I'm definitely not going to be happy with the end result. So I turn down people that I know all the time and some people I don't. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm straight up with them. This is going to cost you this. You really want this for me? And Hey bro, I'm just being professional with you. Yeah. It's going to cost you this for me to do that for you. So I deal with that. That's a huge misconception. A lot of artists deal with this in all platforms of art. You know, people don't, sometimes don't realize what it takes to do, you mm-hmm. know? So anyways, yeah. Yeah. If that's a little too blunt for nope. some people, then, oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> it's your life. It's your life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I get that a lot. So what's the creative yeah. routine? You know, you know where the story's going, you get up, you go to the gym, you come home, you have your coffee, you sit down to draw. How do you decide what's going in that box, what the composition is, what angle the, you know, theoretical camera is pointing at? How do you decide what's going to go in those boxes? Yeah. You know, my process, I'll give you a brief on this, is one, because I write stories that I draw. One I'm working on right now is called Rise of the Jade Lord, and it's basically Niobe as an infant being protected by her people. If you go and pick up my graphic novel, Dusu Path of the Ancient, that I worked on, which is a part of the Kickstarter right now, that is Niobe's tribe. Those tribesmen take her out of out of the out of the Agoma forests and try and get her to safety. And because uh, she's being hunted, the orc prophets and everybody are prophesying this child that will wage war against the servants of Ashnukarum, which is our god of orcs. And I I I laid this out. It's going to be an original graphic novel, probably about 150 pages. I then go in and design. I, I go through an editorial and publishing phase with my editor and publisher. Yes, this is great. Move forward. Then I start the design phase. I design the assets of what they look like, which is just me being inspired by media I consume on occasion. But it's honestly, bro, it's my imagination. Mm-hmm. It's just what I see visually. It just comes to me. It's part of my gift, I guess you could say, because not everyone can visualize things and, and, and then put pen to paper and then boom, there it is. Mm-hmm. So I, that's that stage. And then once those assets are built, I then go in and lay out based off my scripts that I've written scripts where I pass them to my editor and publisher and they go, Daryl, your script's fine, move forward. And then Sebastian will always do a writing polish. I'm always going to co-write with Sebastian Mm -hmm. and he'll do a writing polish of dialogue and narrative later on. But I can then start compositional artwork for the, the art. And a lot of times Seb will hand me scripts and I'll do the designs and then I'll lay out the first issue, then hand that to another artist like Peter Bergting on the untamed he's based out of sweden ashley a woods who's in chicago who did niobe sheldon mitchell who's doing she is death and Arathune, james Corey webster who does uh Dusu path of the ancient and our children's books um tomo a japanese friend of mine did uh, tales of asunda zero and our kids book pinata i laid out and designed every single one of those projects and then they go and finish them i critique their work my publisher handles most of that um grinding with the artists and then while i'm off doing my own thing which essentially I do the layouts, they approve the layouts, then I start doing final line work. Hmm. So then that'll get passed on to a a colorist most likely, and Josh, my editor-in-chief, will do lettering and production. And then Mm -hmm. boom, you see the comic book sitting in your hands. So that's the process. So 
to answer your question, most of this is in my imagination. Um, I'm inspired by many things. I'm not going to go into those things, no. um, but I, um, I, Seb and I are kind of on the same wavelength and him and I, the work he and I do together, I'm, we are Stan Lee and Jack Kirby together. And I, and I get to joke about being the Jack Kirby in our equation, <laughs> the King of comics, yeah. but Sebastian's birthday is actually on Jack Kirby's birthday. Oh wow! So he likes to pull that one. I'm like, man, you're the writer. I'm the artist. So you can't, it's not going to work. So yeah, that's, that's our process, bro. Is there an overall theme or message that you'd like to get across, you know, in your stories, you know, whether it's the shared universe or, stranger in general what is the message that stranger is trying to put out into the world one we want to give people of color heroes dude i'm i'm at comic conventions every month and i grew up with luke skywalker man i'm a little white kid in the 80s media was catered to my generation and my my ethnicity and yours as well right. you know what i mean right. like it, it is what it is and I now go to cons where I've got young women in tears holding Niobe comic books because they're now have, they now have representation in media in the sense of fantasy. Like I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Lord of the Rings is a European mythology. I'm constructing a world mythology with Sebastian and Josh. And when I see the results of white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people saying, yes, I've got a cultural fantasy franchise that's being constructed like a Marvel universe for people of color and of all creeds and races and nationalities that that's just not happening. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm constructing. I'm creating a culturally diverse fantasy franchise that feels and reads like a Marvel or DC universe of comics. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. There's like, yes, cross-cultural stuff and Marvel does stuff and they have, you know, characters of color and whatnot, but you know, Hulk is Bruce Banner not Amadeus Cho, who's an Asian kid. Right. That just pisses off old school fans. You know, it's it's you're late to the you're late to the party. In its inception, it's culturally diverse. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's and I get people want to have characters of color like that in these bigger franchises. So create new characters. And I think DC's moving in that direction. Um, we've just started there. Yeah. You know, we started from the framework, man. Because guess what? I could tell more stories like that of you know because i'm caucasian with caucasian characters that's boring to me bro i've seen it it's been done before yeah you know what i mean i want a half elven black girl leading armies of orcs and elves and dwarves against undead you know what i mean it's it, it it's what gets me up in the morning yeah you know when it comes to my creativity so that's what we're about that's what we're doing awesome it's a yeah. great great way to put that What's been your biggest triumph so far professionally? Working with Jay Lee. <laughs> awesome. I mean, honestly, and I would say Niobe. Yeah. Um, I am most proud of that. To have the creative team, to work with Ashley, to work with Amanda, Sebastian, and Josh, and every other artist that I've worked with on that project, and to see the impact it's having for young women and just fans across the country is awesome. I, it's, it's really cool. And occasionally I will hand a free comic book to somebody because they're broke and they're in tears and they want it so bad, you know, here's a free issue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's to me, it's, I have a bigger responsibility to, um, my fan base than, than if I were just drawing Spider-Man. Yeah. So, yeah, How that's, about... I would say my biggest, yeah, the biggest thing is Niobe and what it's done. Okay. You know? Yeah. How about any failures or disappointments? And what did you learn from that? Um, you know, we've landed on our faces quite a few times in this process. And you just learn from your mistakes and you keep going. I mean, I have sacrificed a lot for this. Um, personally, financially, relationships, the whole nine. Um, and I have probably about once every six months to a year, someone asked me when I'm going to quit. Hmm. When I'm going to give up. I don't have an answer for, for that question. You know? why I could just go get a mortgage job and again, and watch the economy crash and I'll be out of job again. doing something I hate yeah. again. Um, so why not take a risk for myself? Yeah. I don't have children. I'm not married. Um, so I, I, you know, it's just me and I can take those risks cause it is just me. Yes. I want to settle down <laughs> and have a family, 
but um right now it's uh um, affording me the opportunity to be risky and take the risks of landing on my face which happens all the time yeah so yeah learn from your mistakes so that's don't good, repeat them that's a good sign <laughs> right <laughs> really uh, yeah that's pretty basic advice i think that's a pretty good yeah. in all, all areas right. of life <laughs> yeah that that's a good segue into my next question so how okay. do you define success for yourself going forward uh, making a comfortable living i don't need to be rich but i want to make a comfortable living where i can do my art and make a living doing it mm-hmm. that to me is success and 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 maintaining friendships and relationships with people that i care about and family so if i can manage to spend the rest of my life doing this i'll never have to retire because right. i love doing it right in your opinion what's it going to take to get to that self-defined success i need my intellectual properties to go to the next step, the next level of, of, of medium, such as television, movies, stuff that we are actively pursuing and working on. Um, I'm not going to go into details about that, but um, just know that hopefully sooner than later, I'll be coming back on your show <laughs> and talking about major, major movements and stuff. But even then, um, nothing's a guarantee, you know, um, so I need some bigger things to happen so I can then chase um, better um equity partners and all that kind of good fun stuff so i can get my machine rolling hard Mm -hmm. and not um in a place where it's a financial struggle you know as much i just i think uh finances and 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 some some much needed success is going to make that happen so if stranger hadn't worked out what do you think you'd be doing well, I, I for a time I was working at, for uh, Costco actually, and I had a good time working there. Um, when I left there, I was supervising, and I was making a good living there. Mm-hmm. And it's basically do your job, hang out, be nice to people, and they're a good company to work for. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd probably still be there. I think um, even with my degree, but if it were today, like if it were to belly up today, and I had to go do something else, I would have to make make ends meet. But I would probably pursue a career in art. As a comic book artist, um, I've, I've got a taste for it, and I can do it, and uh, there's no reason to stop because I should be able to make a living doing it. But if Stranger hadn't worked out after the the uh, the, the economic crash of uh, 2008 and the housing markets and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. And I worked with some really cool, great people in that company, and you know, I was advancing and hopefully sooner or later I would have been in management, you know? So it's just, yeah, good company to work for. Yeah. I've heard that. I, I've had a couple of people that I know that work for Costco and said it, it's a good job. And just like you said, you come in, you do your work, you work hard and you get rewarded for it. I mean, it's, I've, I've heard a couple of people say that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Home stretch here. Just a few more questions. I like to ask everybody. Well, actually one of these is just for you. Um, okay. You in most of your Instagram posts with the word nuge, Am I, am I yeah. pronouncing this right? N-E-W-D-G-E. Yes, what is Nuge? At the risk of sounding totally lame and uncool, what is Nuge? Um, I, I, I'm, me and my friends through for just generations have always come up with just different words. Like I say bro a lot, right. okay? And I say it more than, than I should because I want people using it around me so they sound like dorks. <laughs> um, I, I'm, my use of language um, has always been something that I've always done. But lately, um, I'm, I'm a Kevin Smith fan. And him and uh, Jay and Silent Bob, they're always like, snoochie boochies. Yep. And, and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure I heard uh, – um, I heard – um, Jay, I listened to Kevin Smith's podcast, and Jay's always saying "nuge," and so I was always saying it. But it's like kind of saying like <laughs> "peace out." It's just a way to end a sentence, you know? All right, like, nuge, bro. You're like, oh, bringing the nuge. Nuge. Like, like I'm bringing new, I'm bringing new creativity, new life to the conversation or what we're doing. I, it has multiple meanings, uh, but <laughs> kind of like aloha just, or dude. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just a way for people to know it's me talking. All right, you know. Um, and who knows what it'll be in a couple of months. Um, you know, I could transition to some new awesome magical word that I've been uh, blessed with distributing upon the masses. Stranger Comics presents <laughs> Nuge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's some of the best advice you've ever gotten? The best advice I've ever gotten when it comes to my creativity um, and what I do for a living it was actually in Stephen King's book on on writing. Mm-hmm. 
and he talks about the muse. And I hear creative people all the time say, I'm not inspired. I'm not, I can't draw right now. I can't paint. I can't write music. I'm not inspired. I call bullshit on that. And he resonated that in his book. And to hear him say, sit down and get to work. Mm-hmm. And chances are the muse is going to show up. That creative energy, that you, that gift that you have to create things, it's going to show up. It's do putting in the time and the work. Like there are days, Brett, where I just, I just don't want to draw. I'm at a low point, you know, whatever the case might be. I just got to sit down and get to work because within minutes to an hour or whatever it is, I look and I've got a third of a page drawn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, the muse showed up. And I didn't even know. I didn't even realize it because I sat down and got my ass to work. That yeah. was the best advice as far as my process is concerned I ever got. And it was out of a book mm. reading. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and of course, there are people I respect and I get advice from my parents and, and friends and other colleagues that I respect. Um, but that was very impactful because I was surrounded by a bunch of artists that were like, I'm not inspired. Well, dude. We got to make a living. I'm sorry. We got to get paid. Yeah. I don't care if you're, you know, you're not feeling up to drawing trees for me right now. I need those trees drawn. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's, it, it is what it is. So that has been extremely helpful. What do you like to do for fun outside of, uh, you talked about consuming media, anything you, you really enjoy doing that kind of recharges you or kind of gets you going? <laughs> Well, I've been going to the gym for the last two years where I was kind of just like deteriorating before that. And um, that's been helpful. But music, bro, I, I love music. I, I just I, I'm always listening to music. It drives people crazy because I got earbuds in mm-hmm. when I'm stalking like my booth at comic conventions. I mean, it's I I tune, I try and tune things out because it keeps me zen. And I listen to everything from metal to like Radiohead to Damien. I'm on a huge Damien Gerardo kick right now. Um, if you're not listening to him, I recommend that anyone listening to this, you need to be listening to Damien Gerardo. Um, <laughs> he is amazing. He, he got me through a lot of pain over the last two years. I, I don't know if you know this, but I had to get a divorce um, in 2000. I had to leave my wife in 2015, and I love her. We're getting along. But music is can have tremendous healing qualities mm-hmm. like dude i'll listen to jesus culture i'll listen to mashuga you know it's i love converge like i'll mm-hmm. listen to all kinds of stuff christian stuff that'll uplift me to stuff that are going to help me event my aggression obviously you know that side of me yeah um you've seen it before um so i just love all forms of me- music and so for me downtime is spending time with friends i play tons of dungeons and dragons with my friends wednesday nights on my game nights but music bro that's where it's at great segue to my next question yeah <laughs> you were larping before larping was cool actually when larping was uh, spectacularly uncool before role models yes can we talk a little bit about larping Absolutely, bro. It's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So if you guys don't know, live action role playing, if you remember role models, that's what they're doing out in the woods, the live action role playing. And the first time I ever heard about LARPing was from Daryl. Yes. I. If any of you know me, any Vanguard listeners, if you ever saw me come to school with a black eye, it wasn't because I got in a fight in Newport Beach. It was because I got jumped by ninjas coming out of trees at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> in the Santa Monica Mountains while I was while I was rocking out as a paladin or a ranger or a wizard. Um, that that is how I met Sebastian. Literally, bro, this intellectual property that I'm hoping to turn into a a, a world renowned um, cultural um, um, intellectual property machine was based on characters and stuff that was being developed when I was 19 years old, running around LARPing. So this business that I'm in, Sebastian, my publisher and friend, is my is actually my dungeon master through all that. We are huge LARP geeks. We play Dungeons & Dragons. This is how we've developed all this stuff. And um, it's a lot of fun to be in one of the OG LARPers. And a lot of people think, you're going to admit that? I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to admit that. Mm-hmm. I make a living talking about it. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? So it's it's good times, man. I love it. Yeah. I don't do it very often anymore, but I have a friend trying to rope me in right now to go do it with his group, and I just <laughs> I don't have, I barely have time to breathe, let alone find a, a woman that's going to want to talk to me. 
So I, I got to set some priorities, dude. So if you could go back to the start of the journey, anything you tell yourself? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a few things I would have, um, probably done a little bit differently, but to be quite honest with you, dude, um, most of what I've, the pain and the struggle and the happiness and everything that has transpired through this has been for a reason. You know what I mean? Um, it's been extremely, um, difficult and we've had issues with getting product completed, but those were done for a reason. You know, I, I look at everything this way. I have faith that things are in God's hands and if he doesn't want this for me, he'll take the cup away. Mm -hmm. So, um, I have to be ready and willing you know, and, and go from there, dude. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's, I, I taught a lot with people about, you know, I, I'm also Christian and I, I taught a lot of with people about our faith. I think the hardest thing about our faith is, you know, is this something I want to do or is this something that God's putting in front of me? You know, is this, yeah. am I trying to open this door for myself or is it being opened for me? You know, yeah. trying to determine, is this really what I just want and I'm forcing it or is the universe yes. unfolding in my yes. favor? You know, it's, it's so complicated. Yes, it is. I mean, I have a, a talent for this. Um, I'm mean, just being honest with you. I don't mean to sound egotistical at all, but it, it, I, you know, I just, just to disclose that, but I have an ability and that is a God given ability. And I'm, and how else am I going to use this? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's a part of that process and whatever he has planned for me in the future, then great. But as of right now, this is, I'm cultivating and creating something that I believe in. And, and I'm pray for God's blessings in that mm -hmm. and, um, and where I can be, um, foundational with my crew. And when I meet people in my faith, I have been, you know, I'm not going to sell out. Sebastian and I, um, are from very different walks of life. We're good buddies, but something he says is how to take your ideas from creative concepts to a reality without selling your soul. Cause trust me, bro, I've had opportunities to go back on my company's standards, my mm -hmm. company's edict or mm -hmm. our main statement of yeah. what makes us the company. I literally have had people in the film business tell me to do certain things with characters of mine that are flat out racist. And I won't be a part of that yeah. just so they can make my film. I, we're not going <clears> to <throat> sell our souls for this. And there, that, that goes across all platforms. You know, it's, you know, I used to joke, sell your soul, rock and roll. Well, not in this. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yep. With all that we've talked about, what inspires you mm -hmm. to keep going? How do you keep yourself motivated? Um, I have stories to tell. And I've got a billion dollars worth of production value with a pencil in my right hand and a piece of paper. I love storytelling. And um, I can make epics like Ben-Hur and... Braveheart and all kinds of crazy stories with very little cost. And I love doing that. And, um, that's, that's my driving force. It's a creative outlet. It fuels me. Um, and I, I couldn't be more excited to sit down and draw rocks when I get off the phone with you, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, it's, you know, it's, it's what fuels my machine, bro. Any last words of advice, life, art, creativity, anything? Do what makes you happy. You know, when you're in the limelight and you're creating content for people to consume, people are going to give you ideas that are bad. I've sat through major criticisms with people, and especially Sebastian, who does a lot of the writing and everything, to where people have gone and said, you should do it this way and change this, this, and this. And it's like, if someone's telling you to do that, dude, obviously you're going to tune it out. But listen to what they're saying, because sometimes you'll pull little nuggets that's going to actually make your story better or whatever it is you're working on. You have to be able to sit through some criticism and, and know what to tune out without getting so aggressive over mm -hmm. it because it's hard when someone's crapping on your, your creativity yeah. and your efforts, especially, dude, when I finished this original graphic novel, this took me a while to complete, and I'm going to get ripped apart by, by critics. I have to be able to handle that. Yeah. But there might be little gems inside there, so when I work on the next one and move forward, that's actually going to help me be a better storyteller. That's, if I could leave some advice on anyone, and that obviously mine comes with publishing and comic books, but you can take that into anything, dude. So if someone wants to buy a Stranger comic, what do they do? Well, for one, we are in comic stores across the country. We have Diamond Distribution, they're the main distributor. 
for uh, comic books and comic shops. But the best way to get stuff directly from me is through my website, strangercomics.com. Obviously, I've got a Kickstarter going right now. My oversized graphic novel for The Untamed was only $25 to pledge for two years ago. I sell those books for $80 to $100 now. Wow. So for $25, bucks, you are getting this special edition oversized hardcover from me. Same thing with Niobe right now. We're about to – we're around almost $38,000 on our Kickstarter backing. We're fully funded. We're, we're hitting stretch goals right now. You're going to – for $25, you can get the oversized Niobe hardcover. I'm only going to print so many of those. So when I'm at conventions in two years and I've only got 10 of them left, those are going to be a lot more expensive. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm selling only trade paperbacks, which is just a story. You get more from us through Kickstarter. You're getting a better version of the product and a much more special version of it. That's why I always tell people, hey, if I got a Kickstarter pledge, whatever, you'll get awesome versions of it. But my website's the best way to get a hold of me, especially when people are all over the country. I am a small independent publisher so not every comic shop knows who i am mm -hmm. most people have heard of niobe and dude they're gonna know Faye because they know jay lee yeah you know what i mean so probably this time in the fall or in the winter coming up this year i'm gonna be all over the place across this country with my new story because i've got one of the world's best comic book artists drawing it awesome it's just it's a number it's a numbers game so yeah awesome well, Daryl, this has been really fun. It's uh, it's great to catch yeah, up. Man. It's great to hear the story, um, your care, and the world you're trying to build. You obviously have a passion for it, and that's definitely inspiring. And I knew the listeners would enjoy this. I, I knew you're an interesting dude. We haven't seen each other in some time, but I, I knew this was going to go well. So I'm, I'm really happy you came on the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me, dude. And I, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to get on here. I've been listening to some of your podcasts. It was awesome hearing your interview with Jamie Alcorn. I miss her and Nathan. And so it was just cool to hear that one. But yeah, man, keep up the good work and thank you. And if anyone has questions, hit me up on my Instagram and Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I know it's it can be difficult with families, careers and everything. And we all go our separate ways. But man, this has been a cool way to connect, Brett. Awesome. 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 Thank you. Again, Daryl's on Instagram at Daryl May Art and on the web at StrangerComics.com. If you go to Kickstarter and type in Niobe, N-I-O-B-E, or Stranger Comics, you'll find everything there. Daryl, thanks again. This is great. Awesome, bro. Thank you. This has been the Maslow Pete Podcast presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. If you like what you heard today, you can find all of our episodes on the web at themaslowpeak.com. And for this week's episode with Daryl, I'll have links to those articles he was talking about earlier. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud to have new episodes automatically pushed to you. If you can rate and re review the show, that helps a lot. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Maslow Peak. Thanks for listening, and you'll be hearing from us next week.